and welcome to the Art & Logic Minimum Viable Podcast. Today we'll be talking with Daisy Trainum, our Creative Director, and Kendall Wyman, our Sales Manager, about ADA compliance in software and websites. So Kendall, maybe you could get us started. What is ADA compliance? Yeah, I'm happy to. And Daisy can follow up with uh, sort of some of the more technical design uh, sort of parameters around ADA compliance. Um, but generally, ADA obviously is the Americans with Disabilities Act, and that extends into the digital world. So your um, your websites, your applications should be ADA compliant. And so that means that people with um, visual disabilities, um, visual limitations should be able to navigate your site um, or your application using some of the the tools that they use uh, to to sort of work through and with software. And it's you know it it there are these these guidelines these uh, that Daisy will talk about that really list out kind of technically what needs to be there. From a client's perspective, um, you know, I think the we kind of came into this whole, you know, ADA compliance really came to the forefront because there were several companies who were being uh, sued for not being ADA compliant. And so that really raised awareness of that topic from that perspective. And it may not be the right perspective, but that's really kind of how it came to the forefront of our thought process. Daisy, do you want to fill in some of the? Absolutely. So it, it's true that it was the lawsuits that really created awareness. But I think now more and more companies feel that not only is it the legal thing to be compliant, but also it's the right thing to do, you know, um, not only from a moral standpoint and an ethical standpoint, but also you reach a wider demographic because now you're not excluding a group of people, a large group of people that are non-sighted. And so more companies uh, with their intranets and their websites and their apps and software, they are now pushing to meet compliancy guidelines so that they can reach a wider audience. And what these guidelines, they're the WCAG, which is the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines put out by the World Wide Web Consortium. And it's a, a list of guidelines that uh, like the basics, like uh, color contrast, making sure everything is properly labeled, making sure that the site makes sense, that um, it's organized in such a way, just like an outline. You know, you have your, your headings and your content, so you're, you want to structure your sites that way as well. And with informational sites, that's one thing, but when it comes to functional sites, when a user goes to an app and they're trying to uh, get the balance on their bank account or they're trying to order a pizza, which was actually one of the lawsuits that happened, there's a lot that happens under the hood that has to happen to the code to make the sites compliant. And that's what these guidelines are for. They're, they're a list of things that you should follow to make sure that your websites are readable by screen readers, which is something that's built into all of our, our laptops and our phones, iOS, Android. There are built-in screen readers that read the site to you. Yeah, and I, I think um, 
from my perspective, it's really easy to think about this um, from a perspective of sighted versus, you know, non-sighted people. Um, and I fall into a, a large demographic of people who are visually compromised. I'm blind uh, in my left eye and my right eye is uh, is is severely compromised. I have very little peripheral vision. Um, and, uh, certainly my field of vision is spotted and scarred. So there are areas of my vision where there are, there is no, uh, visual content that that's being picked up by my retina. And so, you know, as a, we're very adaptable human beings. Um, what happens is our, you know, my brain has learned how to interpret the information, but I will, and, and I think anybody who, um, who sort of falls into this demographic, you may not know that they're a part of this, that they have a visual impairment, but certainly my interactions, uh, with, with websites, with web content, with applications, um, can be incredibly frustrating for me based on my visual limitations. So rather than thinking about it as sighted versus non-sighted, it really is a broad spectrum of, of, uh, that, that, that group of people you're trying to appeal to and make sure are welcome and included in your site and your content, able to use your solutions. That's a really broad pool of people. And it's important, I think, to keep that in mind. That's a really great point because it's not just sighted and non-sighted. So the thing with inclusive and universal design means that you're designing for everybody from one end of the spectrum to the other. And you know, what if you're, uh, what if you do have good sight and you're out in the sun? and you're trying to use your iPhone and there's a glare, you know? So even having high contrast and proper sized fonts and good structure and um, sensible navigation and everything really applies to that as well. And that's a beautiful thing about universal design is it's not just designing specifically for this group or that group or that group. It's making sure that we can all use it not only so that we could all use it, but so that none, nobody feels left out, you know? Yeah, um, accessibility is usability. That's, that's the key right there. If your website is accessible, it's usable and enjoyable for, for everyone in all sorts of dis- different situations. Are we finding that there's also an effort to kind of introduce that accessibility is usability concept into software development as well beyond websites and mobile apps? Absolutely. So uh, there are a lot of apps out there that non-sighted users use specifically to get around, like GPS or uh, cameras that might have character recognition that read things to them. So there's a lot of um, a lot of that demographic that rely on their iPhone on these apps to be able to help them to get around. So it's definitely baked in as well, not just websites, but software in addition. So in terms of projects that we've done for clients, um, is there anything specific that you guys can kind of point to that we've had to do in order to make a client's project more ADA compliant? Yeah. Um, you know, we have had, a, we've, we have a long-term client. We've done a number of projects for them. And I really have to... Uh, laud them for their proactive approach to really 
wanting to make their site and their their solution inclusive. Um, they reached out to us um, having had a previous company uh, do some ADA compliance work. And, you know, in reviewing that, what we really found was that company had, had done a sort of a surface level job of making uh, the site inclusive, which is fine in some respects to the letter, but it doesn't truly reach your objective, which is is really to make the site work for people of all abilities. So we took a look, we dug in, we prototyped out a site really working with them on managing the the design and wanting something that was um, attractive and easy to use against, you know, making sure things are ADA compliant at that deeper level. So it was this really interesting dance to arrive at the design and, and the rework of their site. And the site is, is beautiful and it works very well. Um, they actually went even further and invited a number of beta testers who were you know, actual users uh, to go through the site. And we worked with them. They would find places where things got a little, you know, iffy and would tell us about it. And we would go back and uh, update the site and update our designs to, you know, to meet uh, the actual user's needs, to really get that that real feedback from the client. So yeah, it's, it's a really interesting collaborative process and it's, uh, it's absolutely, you know, been fun to have that kind of work done on, on websites. So. And you mentioned that the website is, is beautiful, which I think introduces another key question because I think a lot of people might think, all right, if you're making something universal and universally accessible, does that mean that you have to sacrifice, sacrifice some of the aesthetics of the site? And clearly what you're suggesting is that that isn't the case. And so Daisy, I was wondering if you could speak to that as well, like some working in some of the aesthetic strengths. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you really don't have to sacrifice the aesthetics to make it accessible. That That's a non-truth. Um, a great example, not a digital example, but I think it speaks volumes, is OXO, which is a kitchen gadget company. And they make the, the potato peelers and can openers and things with the big chunky handles. And they specifically wanted to make a handle that everybody can use. Grandmas with arthritis, people with little tiny hands, people that might be missing fingers. And what you have is this beautiful kitchen device that everybody reaches for because it, it's so inviting. And so it doesn't look like it's an accessible tool, you know, but it is. And I think that that's important in the digital realm as well, is that you can do beautiful things and still have them comply, um, both design as far as contrast and aesthetics, um, you know, structure and everything, but also under the hood in the code, there's a lot that happens in development that could also back that up. So you don't necessarily have to have function or beauty. You can you can definitely have both. Our, on our website, we have the beautiful butterfly and, you know, we, we uh, don't have to sacrifice that. And that's, that's a good thing. So, you know, it, it, when it comes to user experience and uh, usability, you want it to be clean 
and simple and engaging, and you can certainly accomplish all of that and comply with the guidelines as well. So are we finding that clients that we speak to or people who are kind of you know, fishing around whether or not they're ready to create a, their project, are they aware of these kinds of needs and requirements or these possibilities about with the ADA compliance, or is it something that we really need to inform them about? Well, I, I think it certainly has come f- further to the forefront, you know, that the, the lawsuits are certainly did exactly that. They, they, they accomplished their objective of, of raising awareness around this. When I'm speaking with clients about this and um, about making their solutions ADA compliant, you know, nothing I'm saying is really a, um, a novel idea to them. I think what, what is, what I, I really am hearing right now is a lot of people saying like, uh, you know, it's, it, you know, it's going to be expensive. We can't think about it, blah, blah, blah. Let's do it later. And I really suggest that at the, you know, as early as you can, just start. Because, you know, an interesting thing happens when you, when you, you know, embark on making your site inclusive. There really is a mental, I think, a mind shift um, that happens when you start thinking about other types of users, when you start planning to have your site or your solution ADA compliant, um, you really open up your horizons uh, to other sort of from a gestalt, you know, paradigm stance to um, to be inclusive, you know, start to, to think about things. And suddenly all of this stuff comes up like, oh, we may have colorblind users. You know, it may not be a really good idea to make our, you know, to make our, when a field isn't filled in, to just make it, yeah, it's really pretty. Let's put this really faint red line around it. You know, me as a user who's visually impaired, I will stare at your solution trying to figure out why it won't let me continue, but be really hard pressed to find what it is that I have done wrong. You know, these little tiny banners up at the top that tell you like, oh, you need to fill this in. When you start thinking about ADA compliance, when you start early and begin to sort of shift your mind towards that, I think companies become, you know, inclusive of everyone. Um, it becomes, you know, become inclusive of different cultures and different languages and uh, different abilities. It, it really starts to shift the mindset. And I'm hearing that that is having value uh, to clients. And it is a lot easier to design for accessibility going into a project, knowing that we're going to do this from the ground up. It is something that you can sprinkle on top afterwards, but it's uh, certainly easier when you think about it, even in the design phase, because, you know, you think about content blocking. And if, if the screen reader is going to read a website to you in chunks, and you can skip over the chunks, then your site needs to be chunked in such a way where you have your intro block and your marketing stuff up top. Well, I don't want to see that. I want to go to the next chunk, you know, and here's my options. What's the next chunk? And so that's something that you would do in the design phase is to understand the flow in which things happen when the user is going through your website. 
or through your your application rather than having to program that in later it's really easier to um to, to go into it knowing that you're going to be designing for screen readers and uh, like Kendall said about error handling, you know, you fill out a form and you accidentally miss a field, you hit submit, uh, unless it tells you where the error is, you know, and Kendall can see, you can see that, you know, it might take you a long time to see that outline or that little, but what about people that can't see at all? They have to be told. It has to be a, a live assertive message that says, hey, the email address wasn't formatted properly or something. And so error handling is really a huge part of accessibility as well. Not just making sure things go right, but capturing and making it usable when things go wrong. And I think the, you know, the concern is always, it, it, it is, a, you know, maybe the, the design work is a is more thoughtful, which can mean that it's slightly more expensive than as if we didn't consider any of these things. But I really believe that the ROI on it is just completely and utterly evident because your users use a good user experience will bring users back to your site over and over and over again to use your solution, to engage in it, to talk about it with other people. I certainly, when I am greeted with a an easy to use uh, functional site that's accessible to me, I my feelings about the company go up. I will return to them because there's nothing worse for me than and, it, and I'll I'll bottom out. I will I will dump out of any solution um, that I that's not helping me that won't let me accomplish my goals. Um, and certainly that is just you know web based content. But I think this even applies to enterprise applications. If people don't know where they're going and what they should do, I know from inheriting projects where this happened and having to have art and logic go through and fix a lot of things, what happens is users start to hack together to get to what they want to do. They will figure out a way and it's the wrong way. And I really think that's usability, but it really starts in Again, making it accessible, making making your workflows and and making it clear. So, yeah, the ROI on it, I think, is really um, evident um, from from just a client retention, happy happy efficient um, employees perspective. Daisy, did you want to add any kind of advice for people who are thinking about creating, or designing? an ADA compliant website, like some of the top priorities that they should consider as they dive into it? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the WCAG guidelines, I can't stress that enough. That's a great place to start because it really lists out everything from um, 
buttons and links to the high contrast to labeling and captioning for videos and things like that. Um, if you wanted to, you could even test your existing software and your existing sites. There's a lot of online testing tools that you can go to to check out and see where your product stands at this point. Wave is a really popular one, W-A-V-E. There's also a lot of extensions, like browser extensions that you can add to Chrome, um, other browsers that, that will allow you to check and it'll tell you what the errors are. It'll tell you that your headings are out of order or that you have form fields that aren't labeled properly. Um, <clears throat> one, of the, one of the worst things is seeing a button that says, click here or more, like more of what? You know, you need to have it labeled and the button visually could just say more for people that can see the context of what's going on. But if the screen reader is reading it to you, you can add that extra code under the hood that says click here to read more about XYZ. So again, it doesn't, it doesn't have, you don't have to sacrifice the aesthetic or the, the real estate of space on your screen to be more verbose with your buttons and links and form names. But it's a really, really important thing to have there. Um, another thing is every image should have some kind of a description and it's called an alt tag. So, you know, and, and not just marketing stuff, like, you know, if you have an image, you don't want to just say uh, network solutions or something. If it's on your network solutions page, you actually want to describe it because the people that are using screen readers also want to have that same experience. They want to know that it's an illustration of a door with locks and keys. You know, it, it makes surfing the net and, and doing, performing their tasks more colorful and enjoyable and delightful as well. So it's really important to have alt tags on your images and verbose buttons, have everything labeled so it makes sense. Um, these are all really basic things that you can do to make your site compliant. But like I said, it's also important to, to check. And Wave is a great place to start in addition to the, the uh, Chrome extensions. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Kendall. Thank you, Daisy. I feel like you both did a really wonderful job of presenting the fact that not only can you do this, make a site accessible and may it still make it aesthetic, but you can still address your ROI needs. And I think that's something that a lot of people might, you know, they might be hesitating to dive into compliance because they have these ROI concerns thinking, all oh, right, this is going to get expensive. But from what you both said, it sounds like you really can start thinking about it early, implementing a lot of the ADA compliance requirements early and just make it part of your process so that it doesn't really add expense. In fact, it tends to lead to higher user engagement because people are happy and people are comfortable using your website or your, your software. So I think that's wonderful. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> Our Minimum Viable podcast is produced by Adam Singleton. It will be edited by Andrew Sherbrooke. And thanks for listening. Goodbye.